You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, greetings, everyone. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe, and today we're going to um, take one of my occasional tangent trips, I think. Um, I enjoy being able to bring a, a special guest every now and then that has a um, slightly un- unique and, and, and different angle on helping us with our, our leadership abilities. Um, today, my guest, her name is Susan Drum. And uh, Susan, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm great. So glad to be here with you. I hope I've created enough mystery now, and I'm, I'm going to kind of let you tell your backstory and uh, explain a little bit about the journey to how you got to doing what you're doing for helping people today. Yeah, so I am a CEO coach and leadership development consultant today. And I've had the great fortune of coaching billionaire clients and high profile political figures and incredible entrepreneurs set out to disrupt the marketplace and even Fortune 100 teams, senior executive teams, and helping them be better. And I have a pretty eclectic background that brought me to this place. I've been doing that work for 20 years. And Uh, My career took a bunch of twists and turns that all play together in what I do today. That is so often the case. And um, some of the best coaches I know have have definitely had those journeys, whether it's in actual corporate roles or entrepreneurial experiences. And there's there's nothing like being able to call on a coach who is legitimately someone who can say, I've been there, done that. I feel your pain. I, kn- I know what you're dealing with. And here's where we can go. So um, I, th- I think part of the mystery I tried to set up there, you've got one dimension of your practice, as I recall it from our early talks uh, there's a role that music plays in this somewhere along the way. You want to yes. re- reveal that to us? Yes. I just launched a book called The Leader's Playlist, and it's about how to unleash the power of music and neuroscience to transform your leadership and your life. And in the book, we talk about how there's two, essentially two parts to it. We talk about how our our traumatic events or childhood wounds, and we've all had them in some form, something that we had to overcome in childhood shows up in our leadership today. And in some cases, it made us who we are and their superpowers that we bring to what we do. But I also tend to look at it as what is the, there's also overused, can be a liability. And that liability gets in the way and creates a ceiling on your leadership effectiveness. And that's what I've seen over and over in all the leaders I've coached. They weren't reacting to what was really going on in the moment. And to some degree, yes, partially, but it their reaction to it had its roots dating way back. And so it's not only looking at that from a unique diagnosis of the the issue, so to speak, but it's also a highly unique solution, which is how do we use the power of music to shift 
these deep-seated patterns. And I go in the book, I go into all the neuroscience behind how the music affects their brain and how you can actually harness that to become a better leader and a better human. Wow. So what I'm hearing, and, and I'm going to ask it as a question, is this this thing you're talking about, the the root cause of, of creating these caps in in leadership effectiveness, is that the same thing as what some people call limiting beliefs? Yeah, it, it, it has its roots for sure in limiting beliefs, but it's, it's almost like, what is that, what I call the background playlist? Now we use playlist, the term playlist, both literally and figuratively. So when I say, when I'm saying it figuratively, there's this background music that's playing in the background that causes you to pay attention to certain sets of information and data versus others. And it is so insidious in a way. It's like the water we swim in, we don't even realize it's going on. And yet it's what's driving us. So another way to put it is, what are you really trying to prove? What's something that you're, what are you doing out there in the world? And, and what are you trying to prove and who are you trying to prove it to? That's sometimes an entree point to look at what is that deeper seated motivation that can be a good thing, but also have a dark shadow side. Mm. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm thinking, and I hope I'm connecting the, the dots properly and please tell me if I'm not, but I'm thinking of a situation I was involved in. I was coaching a high level executive at a fortune 100 company and he was lamenting that there was one guy, one rung above him that was the classic smartest guy in the room. Yeah. You know, every time they had a meeting, this guy would show up and he would kind of dominate everything. Mm -hmm. And we, we talked about it for a while and I challenged my client. I said, what would happen if you got him one-on-one -on -one and said, I'm going to give you credit that you are the smartest guy in the room. You always have been, you always will be. So we don't need to have that demonstrated to us. I want to talk about a way that we can better relate on the things that are going on because we've got people coming to these meetings that have good ideas, but they get shot down so fast. We need a different way of processing this stuff. And at the end, your idea might be truly the final answer, but we need a better process to get there. And my client said, he grinned and he said, well, I've got a four hour private jet flight with this guy tomorrow. And I'm going to have plenty of time to try that out. And I yeah. said, good luck. So two weeks later, I was back with him again. I said, how'd that go? And he said, actually, it went amazing. He said, I confronted the guy, used almost every word you told me. And he said, the guy sat back and said, I had no idea. I, I, I'm stunned, but I hear what you're saying. And I realize that I'll leave meetings and I'll say to myself, I, I think I upset some people. He said, but I never really know what to do about it or how to go about it. And he said, I love what you said. I, I definitely am willing. This is a team sport. What we do here. I want to be helpful, not hurtful. And yeah. It, it changed the whole dynamic. So it might be a reach in, on my point at connecting the dots. So to your statement of what are you trying to prove? So for him yes. to be, need to be the smartest guy in the room, what is he trying to prove? 
And why does he need that? That yeah. would be the even the deep, that's the deeper level question. Because ultimately, does he feel not good enough? And so he needs to prove that he is. Because you don't need to prove that you are if you already intrinsically believe that. But if there's some very deep subconscious level thing that says I'm not good enough, or it could be, I might not be included, or I'm not taken seriously. So then I have to compensate for that. And what we're saying is, no, you don't like we can see, you know, all of that on display. And I would bet you <laughs> that it has its roots based on something that happened to him in his early formative years. And some message that he picked up, <clears throat> that he's been trying to overcome ever since, but doesn't even have an awareness of how it's impacting how he's leading. Yeah. I mean, it could be something as simple as never got picked on the playground to be on the right team and, you know, all that. Yes, kind of and thing. now's my chance to show, like, there's a reason I'm here, right? Right. So that's a, beliefs around being worthy. Am I worthy? Right? And And how is that showing up? But... We don't often go to this level of depth or realize how some of these things that happen to us in our formative years actually show up, but that is the place and that's the deep shifting. So understanding what the pattern is and then using music essentially as a brain hack to interrupt mm. that pattern, that's what we're really trying. Well, before we get to the specific music part, let me let me just ask, how do you typically introduce this thinking process to to a relatively new client who's expressing yeah you know maybe they've been given some feedback they got a 360 or something else or the boards told them you know you need to work in these areas how do you typically unfold that and unpack it for them well first i look at what was surprising in the feedback that they got what surprised them what did they not know that they didn't know and then I tie to what they want. You know, what is, what, what's an area of your life that you feel like you're bumping your head up against the ceiling? And what, based on that, what are the emotions you feel as a result of that? Is it frustration? Is it, you know, um, agitation? What, you know, what are those emotions? And what are you saying to yourself that's generating those emotions? That's where I start to unpack what is that internal dialogue, that voice inside the head that's coloring how you see the world. Yeah. And when do you introduce the notion of the music being the, the key for that lock? Well, once we, we kind of get clear on what is this, what is that old playlist? And some examples were, you know, I can speak for myself I had an old playlist of I am treated unfairly. Now, would you, if you knew me, would you know that was necessarily going on in the background? No, but I had experiences in my life that seem once I was writing about my life and journaling about it, there were some pretty common themes over and over every time I had low points. Where did I go? I was just treated unfairly. And so it's essentially... Our thoughts have, vi like, we are vibrational beings. Like, we actually vibrate at seven, I think, 7.5 hertz. The earth has a vibration of 7.32 hertz. And we generate, the, the way we feel gets projected out. I mean, your dog knows this. Your dog can feel 
what you're feeling. If you're unhappy or happy or whatever it is, they can sense the incredible. They're, they're picking up on that energy. And so we, we then link it to music by saying, well, what's a good representative? We talk about this old playlist. Like, let's build out that old playlist so you're really aware of it. And the thing why we're using music, um, I don't know if you know anything about how music has been used with Alzheimer's patients. And this is what, what started to get me really interested. So Alzheimer's patients that were unresponsive, they put their, meaning they're non-communicative, they're kind of slumped down and they put their favorite music on or music from their era and they come alive. It's as if the old person is back. They're having a conversation, they're laughing, their eyes are sparkling again. And there's a measurable increase in happiness and eye contact. Why? What happened there? There's something about how music, and it's using all regions of the brain to do this, that helps re-establish neural pathways. And so think of it as like a fertilizer that you put on the ground. And if you're trying to form a new habit, if you start to tie that with music, that will, will deepen and grow more quickly mm. with <clears throat> that mm. in place. And so we look at both old playlists and then we look to change to new playlists as well. What's the new belief that you want to have and how can we use music to anchor that? And then how do we leverage that in your life? Uh, I'm I'm chuckling in my mind here. Um, just last week, my wife and I and some friends had a chance to um, go to a Beach Boys concert. They were coming through town, and um, no, it's not the you know same original five, but it is uh, two of the five that are still with the group doing the tour, and they've got some amazing replacements for some of the parts. But um, listening to that whole show and they they played their whole songbook you know it 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 of course takes us back to that yes childhood you know we're children of the 70s and um, 60s and 70s and um that was you know good times and good yeah. vibrations <laughs> yeah think about when you hear a song like that you are immediate your memory recall goes back the one that was really meaningful for you right back to that time and place Yep. Think about it. If the music has power to do that, then what I've written about in the book is music has the power to help us shift behavior when we really need it, because changing behavior can be hard to do. We have already grooved a pretty deep neural pathway of the way we are. So people say, well, can people really change? I don't believe that. Yes, they can. I mean, I've seen it, but it requires, usually it requires a lot of effort. And so right. in the book, I'm using music as a way to help aid that process because you can groove new, new behaviors and patterns and ways of looking in the world as you practice getting into the energetic state that the music you select will have you be in or want to be in. I'm, a, I'm always careful when I get into this realm, but I happen to be a, a little bit of a, a geek on, on um, the, the brain science studies that have been done in the last i'll say five years or so there's some amazing things that i've read and and um, i i use it in my own coaching practice albeit i'm not licensed in any of this and i don't know what that means in the big picture but it it's it, the the point that i grab onto that clients seem to get intrigued by is the studies tell us that 
when we set out to create a new habit or, or change a behavior, the difficulty in it is the fact that the synapse in our brains aren't wired together. The, the two that yes. may need to connect to make that happen aren't wired together. So there's a, there's a tremendous amount of energy that has to be exerted to make that happen. You can consciously think through it and make yourself, well, like, anybody that's ever tried to change a golf swing or a tennis swing or anything like that, you, you know how hard it is to get your brain to make your body move that way. It's ultimately about that wiring. And what the study says in a nutshell is the synapse that fire together, wire together. That's right. So you have to keep repeating it. You have to keep right. firing that event so that eventually it does wire together. And when it hardwires, guess what? The behavior becomes more natural. Yes. The analogy I love to use with this is imagine that you already have built an eight lane highway because that's the stuff you practice. Some of your eight lane highway is a highway to hell. Essentially. Okay, and so if you want to, if you want to interrupt that pattern, what it's, it's first going to be hard because you're, you're imagine <clears> taking <throat> your car and taking it off road and just driving through the woods right? It's bumpy. It's there's trees, but the more you take that road, the more it becomes a backcountry road and then a two lane highway and then a four lane highway and then an eight lane highway. And the thing is that old eight lane highway to hell will still always be there because you've grooved that sucker in there, you know, but the more you can practice the other neural pathway, the more you have a choice point to be able to catch yourself going down one path and switch to the new one. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. And <clears throat> coming from the Houston area where we have a land of 32 lanes um, on, <laughs> yeah. one, on a highway, um, I've known some executives that have that grooved in. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do love that, you know, the Highway to Hell song because it's like, yep, yep. So back to the music thing and in the in the process of coaching with this, uh, is is there a a literal playlist that you talked about. You talked about the figurative playlist, but yeah. what about the literal? The literal is working, you know, I've got in the book, I talk about a seven step process to go through to both identify the old playlist um, and an anchor song that will help catch you when you're going down that mm. eight lane highway, as well as how to create the new playlist and how to find the music that will best anchor that piece and then how to leverage that in your life. What's a plan to implement the playlist? How are you going to use it to really transform your leadership and your life? Hmm. Um, so that's, that's essentially uh, at a high level, the process, but I go through each of the steps and, and give some um plenty of examples. So in the book, I talk about nine different leaders and I tell their stories. And usually mm. out of those, those are the most common <clears throat> wounds that I've seen, childhood wounds show up and how they switched and what music they did. So usually most people can resonate with one of those nine um, or or create something similar for themselves. I may get you to list all nine, but is, uh, is the perfectionist one of them? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I ask that because I I seem to frequently run into that with clients, and um, 
the, you know, my experience tells me the person that either declares outright, they know they're a perfectionist, they know it's a hurdle and they know it's a hindrance to, to their effectiveness. It's either that or the person that professes they, um, um, they stall and the, the stalling or putting off or procrastinating is almost directly tied to that perfectionistic tendency. Yes. They stall because they don't think they can do it right. So they don't do it yes. at all. Yes. Yes. Or I have to analysis paralysis, right? I have to do one more iteration, one more iteration yeah. to get yeah. it. Cause all they can see is where it's not perfect. Yeah. Um, just, just for the sake of the discussion, can you hit the nine real fast? Sure. The, um, I'll try to remember all of them. Honestly, it's, um, I'm trapped. I'm treated unfairly. I'm not safe. I have to be perfect. I'm not good enough. I'm an imposter. Uh, I can't remember the other ones as well, that, too. That's okay. And I'm sorry. I didn't, didn't want to put you on the spot. We'll, no, we'll no. I'm like, okay, I got to remember them all. Because when I hear them, when I can, I can, that's the thing. I can really hear a leader's limiting belief when they talk. And what is going on? And yeah. I think it's it's sort of using that skill that makes makes the difference in helping them hear it. And I think giving the examples does wonders to for people to see themselves yeah. in the leaders yeah. I talk about. Yeah. yeah. Well, I apologize for asking the question. I don't want to send you no. off in one of those directions, but you, you mentioned the imposter uh, situation, and, and that's another one that I get a lot of question about. People inevitably, and almost everyone will admit some level of imposter syndrome based on their career trajectory. You know, they they get promoted to a certain level, and, and they're really worried. All of a sudden, that kicks in in a big way. That, yeah. Um, I had a gentleman in financial services not long ago that had been hired specifically to be the heir apparent of a large department in a good size bank. And I won't name names, but um, they put him in, there was about a year and a half transition period. And then the, the original leader of this unit did his retirement. And this guy was elevated as promised into the role and he said it was weird. He said for all that run up and all that prep, and he felt really good about the relationship he had and how it was unfolding. And <clears throat> the day he got anointed, he, he just felt like an imposter. Yeah. And he had already done a year and a half worth of work as a mm -hmm. shadow to this guy. He, he knew he knew the business. He knew he knew everything he needed to know about taking this on. But when it finally became his, it just automatically kicked in. Yeah. And, and it, it's taking over just when he doesn't need it, right? Just yeah. when he doesn't need it. Um, you know, another one I've heard, I didn't mention that, that they're uh, coming to me is I'm all alone. Mm -hmm. I hear that frequently with entrepreneurs. There's a little bit of a belief, like I've got all this on my shoulders and I'm all alone. Or I've learned that if I'm in, you know, an individual contributor, I, I do great, but how do I actually build the team and start delegating and giving it, giving it away? But underneath the current, there's a little bit like, well, no one's as motivated or as good as I am. 
And, or sometimes there's those pieces, but it really stems from, I've got to go this, I've got to do this myself because no one else is really going to be there to support me. So that can be happening for a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, another one was I'll be rejected uh, that I heard. Um, and so it's like, I'm going to reject you before you reject me. It's mm -hmm. sort of the one that's always looking for um, ways to be standoffish, right? And yeah. and and so there's actually a fear of being rejection. So if, if I never let, let myself get brought in, then you can never reject me. But underneath it, I have to have this belief that I could be rejected. Otherwise, I'm not going to open myself up to that vulnerability. Well, I, I can see how several of those you named, I, I can immediately kind of see the childhood connection, like that last one, like that some form of abandonment that happened, you know, maybe, maybe your parents got divorced or, or, you know, you got shipped away somewhere and, um, or you moved a lot. So you always had to make new friends and yeah. now you just don't want to do that anymore. So, you know, I'm going to reject you before you reject me. Yeah. So yeah. I can see where a lot of that comes from. Uh, let me ask you this, and this, this may be again, a little too brutal and I don't want to have it that way. What do you say for the executive that starts to hear the early description of all this and pushes back and says, Oh, I'm not going to blame this on my parents or I'm not going to blame it on my childhood. We got to do something different. Right. So, well, you could be keep doing what you're doing, but you don't have to look, you know, I'm saying it has roots there. You can just look at what's happening currently and what's happening that what's the underlying belief system that you have. What's the assumption you're making about it? Yeah. I mean, just yeah. look at today then. <clears throat> Um, cause I don't want to necessarily, and I would say not with all clients, do we go back to your childhood? Right. I, and I don't, I actually don't do that with a lot of clients. What I'm suggesting is it does, if you're willing to go there, but if you're not, that's okay. We just take what's currently happening in the moment and try to get you on a different path for what you want to be going on in the future. So frankly, it doesn't really matter to me when it happened. The point is it's there, <laughs> I, I've not been beyond occasionally asking a client, okay, fine. How's that working out for you? Yeah. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, what's yes, but you keep doing what you're doing. You keep getting what you're getting. So right, right. what is it that you want to shift? And yeah. let's look at the way you're thinking about it because that's the only power you have. The only power you have is how you shift your perspective on what you're looking at. Right. So how are you going to shift your perspective? Right. I'll tell you what, Susan, it's uh, time to take a short break here in the show, uh, pay a few bills with a commercial message here. But uh, when we come back, I want to get uh, a little further into the process here and maybe some of the stories on the outcomes that, that you've gotten from it. So we'll be right back. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness, too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com.
Well, everyone, we're back. Uh, this is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and today I'm visiting with Susan Drum. We're talking about an interesting aspect of executive coaching and leadership development where Susan has been sharing with us the idea of actually tying some music-based considerations into understanding our uh, behavior patterns and challenges with creating new behaviors, because that's ultimately what leadership development is about, is um, replacing old, less effective, I won't say ineffective, but less effective behaviors with new ones that do work better. Susan, as we were talking in the green room on the break, um, it, it, I do agree, and I think it's going to be helpful. Can Can you explain a little more about your background and how these two things kind of came together for you? Yes, I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I have a pretty <laughs> eclectic background and a lot of twists and turns in my career, but everything comes together in what I do now. And little did I know at the time how it would do that. So it's sort of interesting. I, uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh and uh, I went to Carnegie Mellon undergrad in business and then went straight to law school at Harvard and realized while I was in law school that I did not want to be practicing law it was not going to be the right career move for me. But what was I going to do now? Because I had racked up significant loan debt. I mean, I had, you know, over $100,000 in loan debt in the mid 90s. And I decided to go into consulting at that point, because they were starting to hire lawyers right into the management consulting. So McKinsey, BCG, I went to work for BCG, Boston Consulting Group, yeah. and I did management consulting. But the thing is, what law taught me is this skill base to be able to make distinctions. And the use case for that in law is based on case law, right? Does, what? How is this case not like this? That's what writing briefs are all about. That said, I use it now in how to make distinctions in mindset. And that's why I say I can hear for that very fine distinction in how someone's thinking. And I believe it was law school that really honed that skill. Mm. Then you go on to consulting where it's really looking at what is the best strategic move that you can make and how do we think about that to further the goals of our business? That's all that you focus on in management consulting. And certainly, if I'm going to develop a leadership program, it's going to be based on the strategy that the company ultimately wants to achieve. What do we need to do right. from our leadership perspective? From there, I went to work for NBC Television under GE's program in Six Sigma. So GE used to own NBC and I got trained in as a black belt in Six Sigma and then actually had as my title a master black belt in Six Sigma. And what I learned out of that is that you can find ways to measure even the seemingly unmeasurable. Right. And certainly we do that in leadership. How do you measure leadership competencies, right? Right. But the biggest impact in all of these things is after all that, I took a little bit of an interesting hiatus and I went and applied for drama school and got a master's in acting at the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts. Oh, wow. Okay. So 
That is the piece that actually provides one of the biggest impacts in doing leadership development, because as an actor, you really have to learn how to manage that inner critic, that voice inside your head, because if you don't, you're going to be worried about what the person is doing in the front, you know, front row front row, and and how that's or what's, you know, what's you have to really manage that. And you become a master of this ability to shift state. How do you shift your state? And I think both of those pieces are really what play into what I do now. So what somebody said to me is like, you wrote the book that only you could write, which was I'm taking music from my background. I'm taking leadership. I'm taking strategy. And all of those pieces come together in in the book. And I did not know at the time when I made these moves that it was going to turn out this way, but it has. That's phenomenal. Uh, fascinating story and um, very eclectic for sure. But that, um, uh, gosh, <laughs> several things swirling through the mind. If um, when you do get engaged by a company, is is it generally specifically to start a, a leadership development exercise for a, a an executive or a team or, or yes. something like that? Either for the team, the CEO, um, or the C-suite. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then sometimes it's, we want to develop a program for our rising stars yeah. or our next level down. High potential. And start to think about what are we doing from a leadership development perspective at each level? And what does the program look like in advancement and making sure that the topics of conversation are hitting at the right level for competence. You know, it's, um, it, it's, it's interesting. And a number of years ago, when I decided to turn my attention to full-time executive coaching, I was speaking with a good friend of mine who I count as not just a friend, but a mentor. He's a very accomplished CEO he was a private equity guy, one of the hired gun type CEOs that would go around to these, you know, high, high dollar projects, a VC or PE would buy into, and they would, he would be the CEO. They would parachute in to clean everything up and do the turnaround. So well seasoned, he did it a half dozen times or more. And um, anyway, had great insights. When I told him I was going to do leadership development, he shook his head and he goes, nah, you're not going to work. And I said, what? And he said, he said, here's the problem. He said, I'm with you that leaders in companies need that. He said, but you're never going to be able to sell it. I said, really? How so? And he said, here's my take. I've been around the whole globe. And he, he was, he's, he's European by birth, but had been here in the U S most of his adult life. But, um, he said, 5% of the CEOs in the world understand leadership, no more. Mm. He said, 5% will really get it. So if you want to sell leadership development, you got to find those 5% that already know it and already understand it. They're the only ones that are going to buy it straight up. Everybody else is going to be struggling with something going on in their business, but they don't know what it is. You're going to have to figure out how to tell them what it is. And you knowing it, ultimately, it's a fail in leadership. But you can't sell it that way. You got to sell them something else. And so we've had a spirited debate ever since about that. And um, it, but I thought it was a, quite an interesting opinion from a guy who himself is an incredibly accomplished leader in, yeah. in the business world. 
It's an interesting perspective. I think that that was <clears throat> years ago more the the belief. You know, you think about since I've been in this now for two decades, early on when I said I did leadership development, people looked at me like, what? What is that? What are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. And now, I mean, now you look at companies know that if we want to hire and retain the best talent, we are got, we have to look at this. All the top tier consulting firms are now in leadership development. They all have arms in this. The executive search firms also have, and I know because they've tried to recruit me to come no, and no. do that. Whereas back in the day, there wasn't, there wasn't this focus. So they all know that that is actually the linchpin, just as you put it. Well, and I, I I agree with you. And I reflect on the fact that also now, if you go around to all of the top tier universities who have business programs, somewhere in the curriculum out of your 120, 130 hours required for graduation, you're going to have some leadership courses. And when I was a business undergrad, we didn't have that. We had management classes, yes, but we yeah. nobody ever talked about leadership. Yes. As a as a theme. And and like I said, now there's whole, you know, six, nine, twelve hours of leadership development. It's being done in the university. And uh, and the few that I've actually had firsthand experience with, they're they're good programs. They're, they're it's good content and very thoughtful and very insightful. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's great to see the shift and um and a lot more coaches have gotten into it too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely a whole, a whole lot more that are kind of making that pivot and, and, and going through. Um, do you have a kind of a top of mind story that can sort of demonstrate the, the significance of making a, a shift like this as a leader? Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, I have so many and I outlined nine mm -hmm. of them in the book, but I'll tell you one of my favorites, uh, there, there, I worked with a chief marketing officer in a company and she had gotten some 360 feedback that was very, she was almost in denial of or sort of arguing with, right? Mm -hmm. And the feedback had to say, you know, she's really great, but she's always trying to go outside her swim lane and insert herself into other areas that don't feel appropriate. And it's as if, you know, she wants to be part of this meeting and that meeting and needs to be copied on these emails. And, and to her point was, look, I'm, I'm head of marketing. I need to know what's going on in order to be effective at my job, right? That yeah. sounds reasonable. <clears throat> but what we looked at is, well, what's really going on underneath the surface that has her behavior more insistent than, let's say, a different leader's behavior about that issue. And as we did some of the work, we looked at, what, where she got frustrated, where her triggers were. That's a great question I use. I like, what do you, what do you get triggered by? We yeah. looked at some of those triggers and a lot of it had to do with being left out. And so what we understood is that her old playlist was, I am left out. Where we looked at other areas in life, where else are you feeling left out? You know, she's feeling left out because she's divorced. And when you know, the ex-husband takes the kids to the mountain house that used to be there. She feels left out, right? Further back. And we we kept going back in sorority where she wanted to be part of the DG sorority and 
you know, got rejected by them and, and also two others that she was interested in. So she just went in a different direction. And even further back, we found her sister, her and her sister, uh, her sister was sort of the beautiful one and the one that got all the attention when the neighbors would come over and she felt like the mousy one that no one cared about, the younger sister that didn't get the accolades. And so when she started to see how this is actually a recurring theme, we needed an anchor song so that she could catch herself because that's her eight lane highway to hell. She's going to look for and honestly attract situations in which she will feel left out. She doesn't want to create that, but that's her eight lane highway to hell. So we had this song, Adele's Hello. Do you know that? Yeah. Because the song is just like, hello, can you hear me? You know, it's like for this woman pleading. Yeah. And she, when she both would have this impetus to be like, you need to copy me on this. She, she would start to do it and she was like, oh, there's Adele again. Right. And so she could interrupt the pattern using music. And then we created a new playlist, which was, she titled it, I Am Welcomed. And there were a series of songs that really had her feel this state of being included and welcomed. And then her assignment was to start to look for ways in which that is occurring in her life, like put her attention there, not on mm. where she's being left out. And so she would come back and report on, oh, I was invited over by the neighbor for a glass of wine. Great, right? Oh, I noticed I was included, um, you know, with a couple of other people to go play tennis. Wonderful. Then we started looking at work situations. Where are you being included? And the more she could put her attention on that, she started to relax needing to insert because she could actually see the breadth of it. Yeah. And then the hardest things where she had relationships that didn't, weren't working at all. She found a way to just take that person to lunch and say, Hey, you know what? I know you got your, your business. I just, let's talk about what would both, both help me and you and, and be able to create uh, a new pact for how we work together. And now they have a great relationship. And they actually said, I, she's actually a joy to work with. Whereas before I kind of dreaded like, Oh, we gotta, we gotta insert Leslie into this situation. Right now she, now they even treated her welcome. Whereas before they didn't. Yeah. Fascinating. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm reminded I, I had a coaching call this morning. Actually, I've got a client who was expressing some similar angst over a, a peer level person who is the boss's favorite, you know, in the, in the group and some friction and dynamic that's, that's being created there. And she basically just looked at me and she said, what do you think's wrong with me? And I said, whoa, 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 <laughs> that's not the right question. And I said, <laughs> right. right. I, I well, said, what's driving I, that question? Yeah, and I, yeah. I told her, I said, that that's not the right question. The question is what's triggering what? And these experiences with this other person I said, well, we started down the track. She was asking me questions like, will this ever change and what's going to happen? And I said, well, to be honest, I'm going to tell you, you need to strap on for the fact it won't change. That person's behavior is not going to change. But what triggers your thoughts and your reaction to it, we can work on changing that. And that's, that's what we need to, that's the question yes. we need to be asking. Yes. Yes. So um, we had an ongoing discussion about ways we can dig a little deeper into that and, 
<clears throat> I, I basically just started. I have a favorite online personality test that's a very effective one that is not the you know the expensive ones you have to subscribe to, but it it's um it's it's been helpful to help reveal some of the underlying motives, values, and drivers that people have from their core personalities that give them the opinions they've got or the reactions they've got to situations around them. But, but I'm sure even at another layer is what you're talking about. And that's, that's where it would be ultimately good to go. But, um, um, well, Susan, this is, this has been great. I know we're kind of coming up on time here. Any parting thoughts you want to try to sum all this up and put a bow on it for everybody? Oh, I think, I think you've hit on a lot of the key points, which is change is possible. The only power you have is to change yourself. And that comes with a shift in perspective. And, and sometimes you, you need a coach or a process that will help you see things in a different way. And that's where all growth happens. So, um, there, there's this great phrase from Einstein that I love to quote is that the level, uh, our current problems cannot be solved at the level of consciousness that created them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar with that quote. Yeah. So I, and that goes for all sorts of different levels of problems. So there's got to be a shift in thinking in order to solve the problem. Which is very closely related to that thing of, you know, keep doing the same thing and expecting different results is the definition of insanity, right? Yeah, and, yeah. But, you know, as human beings, we so hold on to our beliefs about the way it is. The oh, yeah. way it is. Every time I hear about the way it is, I want to be like, oh, <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, there is a, a, a good prevailing thought that is emerging in leadership circles. And I think Marshall Goldsmith was credited with it. You know, what got you here won't get you there. Yes. Yes. And, um, I, I love the sentiment that that is encapsulated with that, that, uh, and so many times leaders, as they move up an organization, they assume that you got here because you did well at X, Y, and Z in the rearview mirror. But the reality is somebody somewhere sees a different kind of potential and they want you to move into that level to do the potential thing, not the past thing. Yes, absolutely. And, I love Marshall. He wrote the forward to my book, actually. Oh, good. So he yeah. is phenomenal. Um, and, and so that in itself, what you just outlined is a perspective shift that needs right. to happen, right? Just you're in a new position and what's required of you is different than it was when you were in your old position. Right. So you've got to adapt and shift correspondingly. Yeah. So good. Well, Susan, thank you again. This has been great. Appreciate you spending time with us. Thank you. And, you know, you can find the book. Um, it's called The Leader's Playlist. If you go to leadersplaylistbook.com, it's got all the information there. That's great. And we will have that information in the show notes. So um, hop over on uh, my website or uh, any of the streaming services. You'll get those show notes with that link and we'll be sure to share it with you. I do want to remind everybody that if you're listening on audio, we do have a video version of this over on YouTube at the channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, subscribe, uh, leave us a comment, give us some feedback, let us know what you think. And uh, one last time, Susan, thank you. Thank you. And thanks for this great podcast and the work you're putting out in the world.
Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, folks, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and thank you for uh, spending your time with us. We hope to hear from you soon. Take care. All right. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.